Well, today we see the Israelites in a really complaining mood. Now, I don't really love being around moaning people, people who are constantly negative, um, any more than you do. And I guess that on a bad day for me, when I'm moaning, I'm not that great to be around either. But it does seem from the text we have in front of us this morning that we have to take the seriously the possibility that genuine, honest complaint is allowed in our relationship with God. And perhaps now is as good a time as any to learn this. For the story of 2020, as we get to look back on it, will surely um, be the story of an ongoing pandemic containing hope and beauty to some extent, but also a lot of scarcity, fear and suffering. And in this reality of virus, economic meltdown and threat, Like the Israelites, we are driven back to basics in asking the question, well, is the Lord with us or isn't he? By this chapter, chapter 17, the Israelites have escaped Egyptian slavery and they're on their long walk to freedom. So that's two good things and the outlook isn't all bad. Except that right now, it really is, seemingly or bad. They're having a tough time with high personal stresses like changing jobs and moving houses, ones we know only too well. And right now there is no water to drink. Right now the Israelites face death by dehydration and right now Moses faces death from an angry mob desperate for water. So the first crisis, this this is the third crisis actually the Israelites have faced on their long walk to freedom. The first one was in chapter 15, 22 to 27. There is water, but it's too bitter to drink. Chapter 16, there's no food, so we're absolutely starving. And now 17, there's literally no water for us or the cattle. And now all hell breaks loose. And the Bible says, so they quarrelled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Now that kind of sounds like a civilised little spat, but no. No, this is society breaking down. This is civil protest on the streets. So much so that as they leave that area once the crisis is over, Moses names it Massa and Meribah, the place of quarrelling. We know this experience the struggle between promise and fulfilment. We know the reality that wilderness is a state of mind as well as a physical place. We know how it is, don't we? And particularly this year, we know. The USA knows how it is at the moment. The UK certainly knows how it is. But what's striking in this passage is how free the Israelites felt to express their faith through God by calling him to account for his promises to them. And when they complain to Moses, they are in fact complaining to God. Why do you quarrel with me? 
Why do you put the Lord to the test, says Moses, in one and the same breath? For the Israelites in a difficult place, complaint seems to be part and parcel of faith which demands that God steps up to who he says he is. So what does that mean for us? Well, this is strange for us 21st century moderns trained to be nice and deferential to God in our lovely worship songs and our prayers. And I love those worship songs too. We've come to know how to wear our masks well, metaphorically, as well as physically. And the image of being able to legitimately complain to the Almighty comes as a bit of a surprise, perhaps. Can we really do that? Walter Brueggemann says, yes, for in the Bible, complaint is not a sign of weak, but of robust faith. And being over-deferential, over-deferential, he says, just pushes us into guilt and denial, impoverishing our faith, our humanity and our prayer. Did you know that about a third of the Psalms, of the 150 Psalms in the Old Testament, are complaining Psalms, we call them lament Psalms, including Psalm 22, the very words Jesus used on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God offers us freedom to test him, to demand that he shows up for us, that he is who he says he is. And this means that God wants a full, authentic relationship with us. It means that God takes us seriously. It means that God has big shoulders to carry us. So realistically, what does complaint look like in our relationship to God? Complaint, says Broegerman, contains four things. First, we insist that life or something isn't right. Then we realise it needn't stay this way. And then we refuse to accept things as they are. And finally, we insist that God acts. It's your obligation, God, to change things. And that leads us to the question, God, are you who you say you are? Are you that powerful? Are you that merciful? That we have such freedom in this relationship describes a God with no interest in being an all-powerful controller over us, but every interest in a relationship of mutual, honest trust. We just have to address our complaint to the one who can do something about it. You know, these wilderness stories tend to criticise the Israelites, yet they had good reason to complain. And so do we who face real threats and may even now be afraid for our homes, our families, our church, our jobs. It's no surprise at all that we ask, is the Lord among us or not? And when the Israelites throw up all that stuff, God simply shows up. He shows up with his presence. Verse 6, I will be standing there in front of you. And then God shows up with his provision, not by creating water out of thin air for them to drink, but by leading Moses to where the water is already naturally flowing through the rock. Isn't that a beautiful thought? The water he's already created flowing through the rock. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? God and Moses together, realising the hidden potential already in the rock formation. And the miracle is allowing us, surely, allowing God to show us where the water is already flowing. 
where the truth already lies, where salvation is already at hand if we let God guide us to it. And so as Christians this morning, despair and hope meet in Christ. We bring our complaints to God, not as the ancient Israelites in the end, but as the community of Jesus living out the reality of the good news, which means that our complaints are always in the middle of the story of death and resurrection. Practically, this means we know stuff happens, that suffering hurts, that the virus is real, that death is real. As the church, we do not flinch from loss. Yet the one on whom we call is the God of Easter, who counters despair and calls us to hope. For this is the God, says Romans, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So because of Easter, we can approach God and boldly expect him to show up as the God of life who brings resurrection from the ashes because he's promised to make all things new. It's back to you, God, back to who you say you are. So may we find our voice in a real, robust relationship with God, a relationship that doesn't hold back, but trust that, God's, that God hears, that God will show up for us, and that we may expect God to lead us to the water that runs through the rock, which is Christ. Amen.